1: As you live out your life, do you do so for the glory of God? That's the question we're asking as we close out our look at Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. To God be the glory, next on Abounding Grace. It's easy to live our lives for ourselves. We just go about our business and we think nothing of God. But if we do have a heart for God, then His glory is going to be our concern. And that's what we're looking at today here on Abounding Grace. Welcome to the program, the Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. We're in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. It is there that we get a clear understanding of what it means to live to the glory of God. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast
2: of Abounding Grace. I want to obey God so that I can walk in fellowship with Him. Why, this changed in, why has this changed in so many people? Well, we all have knowledge like this know people like this. Why does the change take place in a Christian life? Because God's glory has come to live with us by his Holy Spirit, and he transforms us. Instead of running away from God, we want to know him. And even when it makes us face our sins, our children's sins, our parents' sins, whatever it may be, I want to enjoy God and glorify him, and I want to put away all the idols Be exposed, whatever it takes. No deals, no games. No giving you a few, Lord, of my easy sins so I can hold on to my big ones. No, I want to glorify you. I want to enjoy you. I want to walk with you. Now, glorifying in God, we need to put some more meat on this. It's not a pious slogan. It's no exaggeration either to speak of glorifying God as our life mission. This is your mission. I want you to think about this. This is your mission. This is why God made you. This is why God remade you in Christ. And this is why Paul has said everything he has said so far in Romans about our sinfulness, our justification in Christ, peace with God through Jesus, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God being with us. Romans 8, working all things together for our good. Jew and Gentile are, be, are going to be saved in massive conversions that are going to fill the earth with God's glory. This is why Paul has said everything thus far so that you and me will get on God's agenda, that his mission will be our mission to glorify him, to enjoy him. This is why God has redeemed us. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You want a life verse? This is a life verse for every single Christian, so every Christian needs to know it. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that, and now here is the purpose verse, in order that you should show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light, which in times past were not a people. But now you are the people of God, who had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look at what God has done for me. Therefore, since I have a job to do tomorrow, how can I glorify God in that job? How can I bring praise to Him? How can I please Him? Other people may not notice me. My job may be super obscure, or I may be flying through the day so busy with one task after another. But, how you pray, tonight, tomorrow, on your way, how can I glorify God? How can I bring praise to Him in all of this? I have children that need to be raised. I have a husband that needs helping. I have a wife that needs loving. How Can I do this? I must have God's glory as my aim. I must have a higher motivation than, well, I just want to feel better about myself. I want to feel like my house is in order. I want to feel like other people approve of the way I do things. Beloved, these are very bad motivations. The only lasting motivation is, I want to please God. I want to glorify him with my entire being. If we are going to persevere in our faith, we have got to have something to chew on that is meatier and more sustaining to chew on, other than what will other people think if I don't do this? What will other people think if I don't do that? What will my husband think about me if I say this or my wife? And all the while, we just become these self-absorbed, selfish people, pleasing hypocrites and fearful of the opinion of others. The only opinion in this whole universe that matters, and there is only one, is God pleased with this? Is this honoring Him? And if it doesn't honor honor Him, I won't do it. If it does honor Him, I want to do it. And since I'm so weak... I need help to do it. So I'm going to be seeking him and wanting to please him. I just want to make two other points today and then we'll be finished. I told you at the beginning of the sermon, I don't really know that much about God's glory. Now I'm learning and I, of course, want to learn more. But just note first that God's glory has content. It's not simply spiritualism. It is not religious ecstasy. It is not everyone in here today swaying back and forth for an hour saying glory to Jesus over and over and over. We can do all of that and be unchanged in our fundamental commitments. You know, it's funny. Paul waits until he talks about these truths, election, predestination, justification by faith. God's providence and working all these things out together for the good of those who love him. All those big doctrines, they are in Romans 1 through 11. The future of the Jews, how the gospel is going to affect the Gentile world. All of these are there. Why is this? Because we cannot glorify God if we don't know the truth. We cannot glorify God if we do not know the truth. It is pure and simple because glorifying God is not just emoting religious feelings. Glorifying God is our response to the truth as it is in Jesus and the truth that God has revealed to us in his word. You know, properly speaking, all these mountains of doctrines that Paul is scaling thus far in the book, they are reaching the pinnacle at the end of verse 36, to God be the glory predestination, to God be the glory, the covenant, to God be the glory. All men have fallen and short of the glory of God, to God be the glory. Because God has revealed his righteousness from heaven, to God be the glory. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to God be the glory. Love one another, to God be the glory. Everything that he said to God be the glory. But you must hold fast to this. Because to me, more than anything else, this explains modern day preaching and a lot of modern day music. You know, if preaching doesn't exposit the scriptures or at least try to explain why they, what they mean, applying them to our lives. If preachers stay away from doctrine, they think, well, I'm really trying to be relevant. But you cannot be relevant if you don't know doctrine. You can't be relevant if you don't know truth. And what is even worse than all of that is we can't glorify God if we do not know the truth. Because glorifying God, whether it be through praising Him or obeying Him, is the fruit of knowing His truth. Knowing what He has done for us. Believing his gospel, bowing before his majesty, which has content to it. Have you ever noticed when you've read through the book of Revelation, John intersperses there with those many choruses. Do you even notice whenever they sing? The angels are always singing, praise God for his justice. Praise God for his mercy. Worthy is the lamb of the, that is slain. There is always, 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 always doctrinal content to the singing of heaven. Why? Because God didn't give us doctrine to make us feel smart or simply feel good. God gave us doctrines to reveal his glory to us. And when he reveals that glory, we praise him. And all this can be said about singing. For without truth, singing just gets lost in emotionalism. How I feel. What did that song do for me? Or, I like to go to church because I like its music. Again, the singing that honors God. The singing that warms the godly man's heart has content. God, his word, his works, his doctrine. Because that is what our hearts are tuned to when he saves us by grace. So we can... Can't glorify God, brothers and sisters, unless we are in tune to His Word. Turn with me to three verses in Psalm one nineteen. This is why David makes this prayer three times in this lengthy psalm. It is the psalm D- Thomas Watson called "the pearl strung on one necklace." David said in Psalm one nineteen twenty five. My soul cleaveth under the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Verse 107. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. Verse 154. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Or earlier in in the psalm, One more in verse 18 of chapter 119. Open thou my eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Now, why did I read these? David knew God's truth, but he realized his heart would be ice cold to it unless God quickened it, unless God gave life to him through the word. So that he could see God's glory in it and love God for it and praise him for it. So when we come to preaching, we're supposed to be praying the same thing. When we come to our own reading and meditation of scripture, we are to be praying the same thing. Lord, make my heart alive by your truth. Make my heart to love your truth. Lord, help me to praise you for what I read of you here. Beloved, if you haven't praised God. At the end of your Bible reading, you may as well not have read your Bible. Now, please go ahead and read your Bible. But the goal of reading your Bible is not so you can tell me or your wife or someone else that you have read your Bible. The goal of reading your Bible is what? To glorify God. The, God, the goal of hearing a sermon is not just to hear a sermon. The goal of hearing a sermon is to learn more about God's greatness, His goodness, and His love. Everything that He is so that we can then glorify Him and praise Him with our lives. As David shows us there in Psalm 119, Lord, I can't quicken my own heart. Glorifying God is not intellectualism. Reading God's Word is not a matter of, yeah, I've read that before. You sometimes think, man... I've read all this before. I don't want to read those verses again. Maybe there have been points in your life, and I need you to be honest with yourself here, because I've tried to be honest with myself about this. Sometimes you read the Bible, and you're just like, man, I don't want to stop. Someone has got to tell me to, Lord, I'm just having glorious fellowship with you. And other times you read it, and your eyes are going back and forth, and you're growing tired, and you think, Lord, I've read this before, and I already know what happens. Jesus heals so-and-so, and then he crosses that lake with a funny name, and that guy with the skin issues comes to be healed, and God does heal him. But it's like, why am I doing this? Why am I reading this again? And that's a good question. Why are you doing this? God's Word remains a closed book to us unless the goal of our hearts, which God has put there, is to see glory in all of it. And for those who see something of God's glory, they can read the same chapter every day for two years and get something new out of it. They are truly blessed. There have been times when I've just stayed in the same passage for weeks. And then maybe one day it was just the same passage as the day before. But you've got to pray, Lord, quicken my heart. Make me alive so that with what I see in your truth, I will glorify you. Now, I know I stressed this a few weeks ago, but I want to stress it again. Paul waits until the end of his systematic theology, and then he says, to God be the glory. Why? Because this glory has content, which is God's truth. And the goal of truth is to glorify God and praise Him. You hear a lot of truth here. You hear it in your home. You hear it in Sunday school and Wednesday nights. You hear it, I hope, in the sermons. So are you praising God? Do the words I praise you, God, ever come out of your mouth without being prompted. That is what truth does. Glory begets glory. When God's glory dwells in our hearts and He reveals His truth to us, it is our pleasure and privilege to praise Him. So let me encourage you, after you hear a sermon or you read the word, just praise God, you might say, but isn't that kind of artificial? No, it is never artificial to do what you are supposed to be doing. Praise God. Pray, Lord, help me to praise you. After you have family devotions, praise the Lord. Rejoice in Him. Glory draws near to us when God gives us His Word. And if we want Him to continue giving us His Word, and sometimes in history He has taken it away But if we want him to continue giving us the word, we must ask him, Lord, please give me joy in you. Please help me to obey you. Please help me to glorify you because your glory, your joy is my strength. I can't do anything unless you help me. Don't ever forget, truth is unto praise. And praise strengthens us unto obedience. Now, I said there were two more points, and here is the last one. We switch gears here, and next week, Lord willing, we will begin looking at a variety of practical exhortations. God has called us to glorify him, and we have been restored to glory by his grace. In his mercy, he has called us back. There is no higher calling than for God to say, come to my throne of grace for mercy and for health. When he reveals his glory to us in Jesus, he is inviting us to join the angels in singing his praises. So, as we come to these practical applications in Romans, like brotherly love, well, isn't that kind of a come down from predestination? Well, actually, it's not. It has to do with our love in Christ. But do you understand that? No, you can't, and neither can I. Bearing one another's weaknesses, restricting the enjoyment of our liberties so as not to offend a brother, submitting to an ungodly civil government. Whoa. What is the motivation behind each of these? It is God's glory. To God be the glory in how we love each other and how we submit to those in authority over us. So when we find it difficult to deny ourselves, and there is much in these chapters that are going to be about self-denial, we need to remember God's glory and how our Savior became poor for us, that we might become rich in Him. Beloved, that is glory. Let us remember, wait a minute, I don't like this government. Well, it doesn't matter what you like. We live in God's world. And if the Lord Jesus Christ committed himself to Pilate and gave the good confession before Pilate, it is our glory to do the same thing. If we want to glorify God or when it comes to bearing the reproach of the world, Jesus bore it. So it's our glory or when it comes to obeying our parents, it is our glory. As different questions of obeying authority are brought up in this letter. If we can't obey our parents as Jesus did, then we are spitting on him because he submitted to his parents. So everything comes down to all obedience. All the things we are called upon to do ethically come down to, do we love God's glory or do we not? Is life about me? Unless I'm happy, I'm not going to do this. Turn with me to John thirteen seventeen. I want everyone to memorize this verse this week. I'll be questioning you, each of you by name. So make sure you memorize this verse. It says, and it's very short. It shouldn't be a problem for any of you. It says, if the Lord, if, says the Lord, you know these things, happy are you if you do them. If you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Notice he does not say, and now listen, do these things when you are happy. That's the way most modern Christian ethics are lived out. If I'm happy, if everything goes just the way I want it to go, then I'll smile. Teenagers learn this. Young children learn this. If I just get the candy bar I want, then I will do my best to make my parents' life happy. Whoa, that is the devil's reasoning. If I get to go to the party, then I'll be nice and even possibly take out the trash for my mom. Or if any husband is just the way I, my husband is just the way I want him to be, then I'll be sweet and nice. But if he's not, then I'll let him know by my solemnness or screaming how awful he treats me. If my wife is everything she should be, then I'll be nice and tender. Jesus says, if you know these things, you'll be happy if you do them. In other words, happiness is the fruit of obedience. Happiness is the fruit of... Of obedience it is not like i wait until i get to my happy spot and then i will finally obey when god gives it to me the way i want it to be given to me no i get to live for god's glory not my own look at what he has done for me in christ remember all the doctrines in the book of romans and then paul says to whom be glory forever I'm going to live for your glory, oh God. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to wait for the feelings to come. And they will come. I promise you there is nothing more joyful than obeying God. But oftentimes, God will wait on the feelings. Because he wants to train us to just love him for the sake of him. And then we can handle the feelings later. If you know these things, you will be happy when you do them. In my mind, this is a forgotten dynamic behind gospel obedience, which is what we come to now in Romans and we'll address in more detail next week. God calls us to glorify him so we can enjoy him. Just let that sink in through this next week. Amen. Let us pray. Father. We thank you for restoring us to glory by your mercy through the righteousness revealed in heaven through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would teach us to live for your glory, that we would recover the biblical dynamic of obeying you and being joyful in you and how these things go together. Please bless us and forgive us for wanting joy on our own terms. Please forgive us for everything we could as thinking we could as if we are able to know what would truly make us happy. Please help us now to live every aspect, every second of our lives to please you. Amen.